Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran and this is The Garden Gurus Live, a weekly show where I'll share seasonal gardening advice, feature a variety of gardeners from all across Australia and give listeners the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like our Facebook page and tune in every Friday at 12pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as Nature-N, blood and bone, seaweed, biostimulants, manure and feather meal to improve the soil, and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Hello and welcome to The Garden Gurus Live. I'm Trevor Cochran. It's Friday afternoon, it's fun day, so we're gonna have a bit of fun with our session today. I hope you will enjoy it. Remember, this is all about you asking your questions about your garden, telling us what's going on right now. And we've got another great show planned for you today. Now, I'll be telling you about my favorite summer fruit, which I've picked some from the garden this morning, so I'll share it with you. You will love them. Greg from Love the Garden joins us. Now, he's talking about wedding agents, and for those of us in states that are pretty dry at the moment, um, there's never been a better time to be getting a wedding agent in. We'll talk about why and how uh, a bit later on. And you'll get a sneak peek. In fact, it'll be the first bite at the Garden Express catalogue, the latest one that's out. And it's your chance to get in and get your plants early. And of course, the great thing with Garden Express is that they deliver them direct to your door. So we'll have Rowan from the team there joining us. And of course, don't forget, this is all about your garden, your garden questions. And we'd like to know what your problems are. I'd like to help you with them. So make sure you tell me where you're from, what suburb, what state. And if it's a bit of an unusual problem, like maybe something needs to be identified, try and post a picture and we'll do our best to help you out. It is, um, it's always a pleasure bringing this and helping everybody with their gardens. We get so much feedback. It's, it's been a very interesting revelation. As we go along, if there's things that you like, please remember to like the page. Put your, your little likes on there. Give us a bit of love and it spreads it, of course, through the community more broadly. So hopefully more people will discover us and uh, makes, uh, makes the program even more interesting as we go along. Now, getting straight into things, Michelle from Canberra sent us a fantastic photograph through. It's actually on behalf of her dad, Len, and uh, Jerobombra is uh, where, where Len's from, wanted us to see these photos. And it's his Queensland blue pumpkins looking fantastic. Len, they're a lot better than mine. Mine are a bit smaller than that at the moment, but gee whiz, they're great. You've done very, very well. Nice work. Um, we have got another comment here, Sharon. Sharon, I don't know where you're from, uh, but it's a good question. It's, uh, is late summer, early autumn a good time to lay lawn? And the answer is actually the autumn, the early autumn is the best time to lay lawn. Generally, moisture levels are coming up in the soil, but if you're in Queensland, Northern Western Australia, the Northern Territory, or even sort of north of, uh, of Sydney at the moment, there's been so much rain, uh, you could get away with doing it right now. So it just depends on where you are, which is why it's important you let me know where you're from and uh, that sort of makes it a little bit more pertinent. If you're in Perth, 
probably just want to get through this sort of month of February before you start doing it. So March really is probably the time when you start thinking about putting it in. Now this is the reason why we want to make sure we get a photograph because Rita sent through a question and it's, can you tell me what this big black flies are and what I can do to get rid of them all over my plant? Now, I can't quite see the flies up close, but I can see how big they are. And it looks like it's a Melaleuca uh, incana, one of the golden versions of it. Interesting thing with this is if they are flies, they're being attracted to the Melaleuca because there's some food source there for them. And that would suggest that there's probably a lot of scale on the plant. So there's a lot of um, what we call um, honeydew, which is like a sugary substance that scale emits to bring, um, generally to bring ants in, to be quite honest, because the ants farm them. But the flies are attracted to it and they use it as a food source. And I suspect that that's what's going on here. The way you'll be able to tell is have a look at the stems, have a look at the leaves, see the little brown bumps on them or black little bumps on them or maybe a significant number of them covering the stem by the looks of the plants. But that's one of the reasons why flies tend to appear in the garden. The other is that some plants use flies as a pollinator for their flowers. This definitely doesn't have flowers on, so I don't think that's the thing that's going on here. Now, Victoria, again, not sure where you're from, Victoria, but this is a doozy. Have a look at this rose. And you can see Victoria has, um, has actually circled what's going on, but she's got this frizzy growth coming out of the rose bush. And this is a classic sign of exposure to glyphosate. Roses are super sensitive to glyphosate. That's Roundup or Zero or one of those derivatives. Um, once they come in contact with it, it really messes with the way the plant works. And uh, what's going on here is all the new growth is coming out. It's, it's chlorotic, which means it's kind of yellow. It's deformed in its growth and it doesn't look good. And the general outcome with this is that the plant would die. But looking at the rest of the plant, it actually seems like it might be okay. So you might be in a situation where it's just gonna need a little bit of love, keep the fertilizer up to it, try and push along some growth. Um, don't give it too much, so just follow the, the directions. Make sure it stays nice and moist and hopefully it'll grow out of that damage. But really serious message here when it comes to roses. Never spray any herbicides near your roses. They are so super sensitive to them. Now, let's keep rolling along. Lisa from North West Queensland. You're coming from all over the country. I love it. Thank you for that. She's got, um, what are the best plants to deter grasshoppers eating natives? Well, pretty tough job. The, the natives that are attacked by grasshoppers generally have broader leaves. So anything that's got sort of needly type leaves is not gonna be a good food source for grasshoppers. That's the first thing. The second thing is how do I get rid of this white stuff on my calistamins? Calistamins are bottle brush. And this bottle brush has white scale, which is a pretty common, um, a pretty common pest. Now, it's not a big plant, so it's going to be very easy to treat. And all you need to do is use white oil or one of those um, horticultural oils. Soak the plant, give it a really good soaking, and what it'll do is it'll smother the scale. The scale will fall off. You might need to do it again in a month or so's time just to make sure that uh, that you do clean it up completely. But now's the time to get hold of it because it's very hard to control in larger plants when it's out of out of control. There are some, I should mention, there are some uh, predatory wasps that you can get and uh, we'll certainly mention those in the first episode of The Garden Gurus as we roll along, um, which is coming up on the 27th of February, something to look forward to. 
Damien, I'm going to answer your question. Damien's from Torquay in Victoria. My neighbour's property backs onto a creek reserve on a slope block. Both keen veggie gardeners but have visiting possums and we think a rat is eating our crop. What advice would you help to deter them? Rats are a really significant challenge because they're very intelligent creatures. And the second thing is baiting them really leaves, um, leaves you open to killing some of the native bird life, particularly kookaburras, which will often find a struggling mouse or rat that's been baited and eat it, and of course then suffer from poisoning themselves. Um, the best thing you can do is, is either come up with one of those uh, contained rat um, traps. That's the best thing I would suggest. Um, there are a few things that you can try and deter possums away with. Um, white pepper is a good one. Chili can be a very good one in a powder form. Um, I would suggest you probably look at those. That might have an effect on the rats, but I doubt it. Rats are a very adaptable creature. And uh, yeah, it's a common problem. I actually saw one in my garden last night. I saw some bandicoots and then I saw a rat. And there's a big difference between the two. They run around and they scare producers, which is what happens to Michaela when she's filming with us in my garden. <laughs> she's shaking her head in disappointment at me. Now. A uh, little, uh, little bit of mirth there, but now we're going to get into some pretty serious stuff because if you want to have the latest and greatest in your, uh, in your garden, the best way to do it is to get it delivered direct to your door from Australia's leading online garden centre. And Ryan Peterson, who is the marketing manager at Garden Express, he's stepped in because clearly David has hit the local wineries a little early today, Rowan. Is that what's going on? Yep, he's at it again. No. <laughs> Um, no, no, he's been, uh, he's actually been on the packing machine. So he's, he's out getting his hands dirty. So he's just, um, headed off a bit early tonight and, uh, I've stepped in for him. You're a good man, Rowan. And you guys do so much hard work when it comes to finding the latest and greatest. We were just having a conversation actually just prior to, to going live today about, um, uh, you're desperately looking for supplies of certain types of plants at the moment, including clivias. So we were just talking about a friend of mine over here who's got a clivia nursery and uh, this is what we do, isn't it? We're always out there looking for somebody who's got something new, interesting, different and that's exactly what's represented here in your catalogue coming up with the autumn catalogue. Absolutely. So so this new catalogue is our um, is our uh, spring bulb catalogue. So it's when it's jam-packed, it really is bursting at the seams. We've got so many spring bulbs in it. So, um, you know, from daffodils to tulips to hyacinths and pretty much everything in between. How did your offer go last week? The one that um, David um, revealed with us, it was, it was a, a sensational deal. Yeah, 65% off, uh, which is which is brilliant. Um, it went really well. Um, there's a few left there. So if there's anybody that missed out, by, by all means, jump on. There's a few left there. Um, wow. But uh, this new catalogue is jam-packed full of all the latest and greatest. And you know what I love about the catalogue? It's up on, on screen at the moment as we're talking through. It, it's got the traditionals. It's got the hyacinths and the dafts and the tulips. But you also have some pretty interesting, unusual bulbs, really. It's things that bring a real point of difference to somebody's backyard as well, right? Yeah, we've got some, uh, some F1 ranunculi, ranunculi, which are really beautiful. We've got yep. some, uh, some specialty bulbs. Some of those ones you'll have to excuse me because I their names are a bit hard to pronounce sometimes. Yeah. Um, but there's also there's also a nice spread of autumn flowering stuff. So some if if people can't wait for these beautiful flowers to flower in spring, there's some uh, some nareens, some some lycoris, yeah. uh, and those types okay. of things. 
Lycoris and Noreen's are absolutely beautiful flowers. And, of course, yeah, they just emerge out of the ground, basically, you know, and just it's a single flower that emerges and then the plant grows after that. They're, they're a real highlight. And they're very hard to get your hands on. This is the thing is you've got a great mixture of quite rare and unusual plants um, as well as the mainstream, as well as others that are very well adapted to our environment, like the South African bulbs. Yep, yep. We've got some hamanthus in there too, which, you know, talking about things that are hard to get hand on. There's a nice white one and a red one. The red one, the red one's uh, a little bit limited in stock this uh, this season, but, uh, yeah, they're beautiful. Another one that just sort of pops out of the ground. Yeah, so this, this is, uh, for those people who don't know what a hamanthus is, um, it's often known as the blood lily. So it's um, the, the red one is just spectacular. The white is as rare as hen's teeth. So if you've got some yep. good quantities of that, they're going to go off like That's crazy. Stock, yeah. Yeah. yeah, if anyone's interested, jump online for sure. Terrific. That's what it's all about, Maiden. And look, you know, you're not just the one-stop shop for, for plants. You've kind of got all the garden goodies that people need, right? There's, that range of tools is sensational that you have. Yeah, we've got a great range of Gardener's Advantage tools. Um, there's a few in this catalogue, but like I said, we We've tried to fit as many spring bulbs into this one as possible, but there are, uh, we, we do have a really great offer, actually, which is worth mentioning to anybody that perhaps is new to spring bulbs, um, yep. and even the people that are, 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 um, have them in their garden already, but we've got a great little starter kit, which includes a bulb planter, which has got some some handy um, depth, depth meters in it. Um, oh, yeah, great. Uh, a kneel pad, some gloves, some bulb baskets and a couple of other goodies um, and it's 45% off um, at the moment. So retail value is around uh, $92 and we're selling it for $49. Wow, that's awesome. Rowan, you know what, you guys, you've been a fantastic supporter of ours over the year as well, or the last few years actually, and um, you've never failed to surprise with new and interesting things and obviously... The, the buying online has become more and more popular. It's just that convenience. People can place an order with you online. They can work through your catalogue, your digital catalogue, have a look at everything, place their order, and you deliver it direct to their door, don't you? Yep, straight to their door, Australia-wide. Um, freight starts at 11.50 Australia-wide for, for um, smaller parcels and it goes up from there depending on yep. what you're buying. Um, but, uh, you know, last year, as, as we've spoken about many times, uh, we sort of came to the forefront. Um, people out in their garden that couldn't necessarily go down to the local garden centre turned yep. to us, which is fantastic. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate, and it's pleasure talking to you again. Thank you for the rundown on the catalogue, folks. If you want to get the latest and greatest, the one thing that I'll tell you is that a lot of these offers never last very long, do they, Rowan? So it's important to get in early. I'll pop a, I'll pop a couple of links in the uh, in the feed once we're finished up here, so people can go directly to some of the deals we've uh, and and a link to the catalogue, so it's easy to find. Um, but obviously, best place gardenexpress.com.au. Thanks, Rowan, and uh, give our regards to David. I'm I'm sure he's been on the on the machine and everything else, but I'm sure he's enjoying a nice Victorian red from the Yarra Valley. I'm sure. Uh, I, I dare say he is. <laughs> I'm sure he's tuned in and watching us right now. Big hello. Yep. Thanks, mate. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week, hopefully. Yeah, have a great weekend, Trevor, and everybody out there. We'll see you next week. Thanks, buddy. Bye. Now, that's, um, that's, there's some pretty cool stuff there, and that's a lot of fun. Um, Rowan's just a great guy, and they're a wonderful family company, that company. I just love working with them. Visit the Garden Guru's online store and browse through a collection of high-quality, German-made Wolfgarten tools. 
you'll also find a range of books with information to help create and maintain a beautiful garden. You can also access the online store on the Garden Gurus Facebook page. Use the code GURUS for free shipping on orders over $30. Offer ends 31st of October. We're going to continue with your questions and we've got a lot of them coming through. In fact, Judy from Bendigo in Victoria, thanks for the opportunity to ask questions. You diagnosed my tomato issue a few weeks ago and with your remedy, they are starting to improve. That is great, fantastic news and there was a thank you. Question today is how do you prune pelagoniums? Well, the trick with pelagoniums is one, when they flowered and they finished flowering, is to take the plant back to about two nodes below where the flower bud was and hopefully, or the growth bud was, and hopefully you'll then push some new flowers through. But this time of the year, you can be a little bit on the harder side with them. You can take maybe 30% of the plant off. In fact, you should do that because what it does is it encourages them to, to be quite bushy and, and start to get some good growth before we hit the cooler weather, which is actually not that far away. So. Um, as long as you're not in, you know, looking forward to a few more 40 degree days, you can take that pruning action. If you are in that situation, and Bendigo can get pretty hot at times, I know, um, you might be wise to wait until maybe the second week of March, just to guarantee that there's no burning. I hope, I hope that helps you, Judy. Um, we're just moving across. We're back over here in Perth. Gloria is in Hocking. Hello, Gloria. Can you tell me about propagating indoor plants? Is it better to pop the cutting, uh, to, I think it's to take the cutting and to put it into water, perlite or sphagnum moss, please? Okay, it depends on the plant. There are lots of different ways to propagate plants. The simple way with things like um, pothos and those kinds of plants is to take a tip cutting. So that's literally a cut off a section It'll force the plant to become bushy at the base. You take the top cutting and you can pop it in a glass of water if it's something like pothos or the devil's ivy as it's sometimes known. Um, the other thing that you can do is you can just pop it straight back into a hole in the soil next to the parent plant and you'll end up with a very bushy plant. When it comes to things like uh, Diffenbachias or crotons or some of those slightly more difficult plants, they're not that difficult. This time of the year is to do it. You can do it in a propagation mix. I wouldn't do perlite or sphagnum moss on its own. I would look out for one of the specialised propagation mixes. The guys at Osmocote have a ripper for propagating plants and it's all mixed for you. All you do is have to put it in a tray, then you take all your tip cuttings and pop them in. Hope that helps. Um, now, let's keep moving along. We've got Helen in uh, the... Floriu, I've got to get that right. I can never quite get it right in South Australia. It's out there on the peninsula. It's beautiful. It's a coastal, you're in a coastal town. It's um, an apricot tree that you've got and it's only produced seven fruit. Can I help please? Seven fruit, that's a bit disappointing and apricots are the best. Now the thing that triggers fruiting with apricots is cold weather. So you do need some cold weather and because you're in a coastal town, you're probably finding that the, the ocean is moderating the, the, the chill factor. Now, living in Perth, where we don't have a very cold environment, uh, growing things like cherries and apples can be quite problematic. And to cheat and to guarantee that we will get a really good crop, what those of us who are desperate um, to, to, to grow those fruit do is we throw ice down on the ground during winter. So we try and get a little bit of chill 
in, into the soil, and that's actually the key. So the chill factor is probably what's holding the apricot tree back. And the only other thing that can affect it is giving it too much nitrogen in the fertiliser. So I would suggest do not fertilise it at all. Um, back the water off, keep the plant a little bit on the drier side, slightly stressed if you can, and that should trigger really good flowering come springtime. And if you do throw a few blocks of ice over the top of the soil in the peak of winter during really cold, dry, cold days, um, that is going to help really stimulate and extend the, the chill hours. And hopefully you'll end up with a huge crop next year, Helen. It's, um, it's one of those sort of tricks of the trade, if you like. Glenis is in Corio, in which is just outside of Geelong, actually, in Victoria, beautiful part of the world. She can't get her black Genoa fig to fruit. Now, you've had it for three years and nothing. And you've had a figalicious one, and, and uh, that got eight figs on it. It's about the same age. Okay. Um, thing with figs is that they love a hot, dry climate. And it depends on where you are in and around Geelong, but generally the soils are, are pretty free draining, so you shouldn't have too many problems. But my suggestion would be to you to encourage the plant to be stressed now and, uh, and let it go through the rest of the growth season under strain. What it'll do is it'll make the tree feel like it's threatened, it's life threatened, and it'll want to reproduce. And in the process of reproducing, um, it'll have to produce fruit. And that's the clever thing. And interesting thing about the fig itself is the fig itself is not a fruit as such. It's actually the flower, which is really cool. So we're actually eating a very unusual um, fruit-like thing, but it's actually really a modified flower. Hope that helps, Glennis, but you will get a good crop if you stress your tree out. Um, you've had it for three years. It should be established well enough. Go and... Um, Go and, go and do it now. Leanne's got a great question. She's from Doreen in Melbourne. Thank you again for um, telling us where you're from. It really does help me a lot. And the second thing I would say is please, if you like the answers or if you like the, the session that we're having, like us. Hit like or hit love. Let all your friends know. It'll be great. Doreen's question is great because it's about a plant that I absolutely love. It's called the Desert Rose. And um, these adeniums are kind of almost like a little mini boab with big succulent leaves, but they produce these wonderful flowers, these beautiful tubular flowers, and you can get pinks and reds. And by growing them from seed, you do get great variety in the, in the flower colour. And you, you never know what you're going to get. Her plant must have gone into, into flower and then into seed. And she's asking what's the best time to be planting the desert rose seeds. And the answer is right now. So they love it nice and warm. And if you were to grow them in the cold season, you'd be best to put them on some kind of heating tray and you can get propagating heating trays that warm from the bottom and encourage the, the roots to drop down pretty quick and the plant to germinate. But now if you were to take those seeds out of the, out of the pods and they come in these long pods, you'll probably get three or five depending on, uh, on, on the plant and um, you take them, you let them dry, crack them open, spread out over just a good seed raising mix. It doesn't need to be anything other than that. Keep it moist and they will all germinate. And by May, June, you should be able to prick each of the little plants out and pop them into their own little pots. And you only want to put them in little pots, weather them through the winter, and then once you get into warm season again next year, they'll really start growing away. You can start potting them up into bigger pots. And who knows what you'll get. It'll take a couple of years, 
but you'll start seeing the flowers come through and you could end up with all sorts of amazing colours. That's the exciting thing about growing plants from seed. Hope that helps, Leanne. Cathy is from Muche. Muche is um, about an hour north of Perth, I suppose. It's a fantastic little place. She wants to know if her, if her potted dwarf Eureka lemon can be saved. It's, it's only got flowers on it and it's got no leaves in the branches. And that is a classic example of how hungry citrus are. This is a tree that is desperate for a good feed, probably because it's been potted, needs to be in some fresh soil as well. Now is a good time to be repotting them. And if it starts to form any fruit, I would pick the fruit off and encourage the plant to develop a new canopy, get some new growth on, because leaves, of course, capture the energy of the sun and convert it and allow the plant to grow. So hopefully that helps, Cathy. Pretty common problem, not unusual. Heading across to Victoria, Jola. Hello, how are you? She's got massive problems with aphids. Starting from spring, they're attacking your fruit trees, your broad beans, and every so often they're appearing on the hibiscus, which will be all the new growth. Now you've tried natural remedies and specific sprays for them. Uh, am I attracting aphids by, by over-fertilising too much? How can I prepare the soil during the winter so that this won't happen again? There's not a lot you can do with the soil. Um, overfeeding can force a lot of very lush, soft growth, and aphids will love that. But when something gets out of balance, sometimes it's because you don't have enough natural predators. And we all know that ladybirds love aphids, but there are a bunch of other natural predators too, some, some native wasps. And in episode one of The Garden Gurus, I'm talking about a company that's breeding these, and uh, there's um, you can actually order them online. So my suggestion would be what we'll do is we'll get you the details of the company, we'll pop it up on our Facebook page so that you can actually contact them and find out where your local garden centre is that actually has these predators. I think you order them online. Garden centre um, does some training with you just to explain how you release these insects and they're mailed direct to you from the insectary. That's where they grow them. Um, but my suggestion would be that when you've got a you know, when you've got something like this, it's just time to bring the natural predator balance back and this is a very good way to do it. Now, Sally, you didn't let us know where you're from, but that's okay. The question's one that shouldn't be too difficult to answer. My native gardenia doesn't seem to be growing and the leaves are not dark green and glossy. Any advice? Absolutely, it needs feeding. Um, they all love a good feed, they love warm weather, they're growing strongly. Now is the time for you to be giving them a feed with a good all-round fertiliser and it probably wouldn't hurt for you to give them a bit of a shot with a liquid fertiliser over the foliage as well. So controlled release fertiliser, liquid fertiliser, give them a double dose right at the moment and then they will take off. It should be, um, it should be fine. So um, I hope that helps. Uh, and we've got Con in Sydney. Hi Con. Can I, water the, can I water the lawn in hot weather at three in the Arvo? And I'm not sure why you'd do that, Con. If you, if you had a really dry patch and the lawn was desperate for, for a bit of water, absolutely. But watering at three in the af afternoon is just coming off the peak of the heat of the day. And this is when evaporation is at its absolute highest. So throwing that water on the lawn, whilst it'll give it a little bit of, um, bit of recovery and you'll see it sort of pick up from any severe damage, the truth of the matter is the vast majority of the water you put on will actually evaporate before it's actually taken up by the plant. So you're wasting water. The best time to water a lawn is early morning, right on 
five o'clock, ideally, set your sprinklers, give the lawn a good soak, and depending on your soil type, you should maybe only need to do that maybe twice or three times a week. Um, that's my, my feedback for you, Connor. I hope that helps. Now, we did have a question before about figs, and I went out this morning because Michaela, mm -hmm. my producer, said you've got to go and pick some of those figs and bring them in, and this is the one that I have brought in, and it is an absolute ripper. So you can see that this has got a variegation, a beautiful golden variegation through the actual fruit itself. It's a really remarkable little fig called panache. I've actually got two of them in my garden, speaking of little figs, and I'll see if I can... Actually, you know what I'll do? Before I show you the second fig variety, I'll just show you what the panache looks like inside because the real question that you want to know is what does it taste like? Now, this is a really nice soft one. So let's just open that up and look at that. Look at that. Isn't that beautiful? Beautiful raspberry colour. And guess what it tastes like? Raspberry. Hard to believe, isn't it? Absolutely gorgeous. So delicious. Michaela's going to try one right now for us. And uh, you'll be able to see. No, I don't. You'll be able to see. Here she is. God. Here she is, Michaela. Don't be Hi. shy. There we go. Now let's eat it. Okay. What does it taste <laughs> like? To? Yep. Okay. Raspberry. Mhm. Mm mhm. Mm <laughs> <laughs> there we go. She probably wouldn't have eaten it if I hadn't have done that. So I hope you enjoyed it. It's nice to see that the teams here, all in the background, working away hard, making sure that they're well fed as well. Jimmy, you might want to just try that. There we go. Okay. So that's. Panache, okay, so quite an unusual fig. This one is another really delicious fig. This is a dwarf variety that I'm growing at home. And you can see the colour of that one. And um, this is a little Adam. And, and Michaela just said that this one's better, so we'll just get her to so try that it. again. Um, really delicious again. Um, now, my, my trick with figs, if you want to have a really lovely um, entree, uh, as an appetizer before a meal, grab yourself some slices of uh, prosciutto, the, the meat, and I'll just show you how it works, right? And what you do is you break the fruit open, so cut it in half, and then wrap the prosciutto around the outside and wrap it tight, then pop it on top of a grill. Barbecue, um, whatever, doesn't matter. What it does is it caramelizes the fruit itself. And um, the sugars that caramelise mix with the salty flavour of the cured meat of the prosciutto. And it is absolutely delicious. The combination of the two, really nice. Panache fig and the other little one, Adam. You want to try them both? There seems to be a lot of excitement going on around the outside of me. The skin? I eat the skin. You eat the skin. Ooh, the skin's good. So there, there's a question for you. Can you eat the skin? Absolutely. What did you think? I always do. You're going to grow figs at home? They, sh they really are a very good fruit tree for our environment pretty much everywhere in Australia. I hope that helps. Garden Express are Australia's leading mail order gardening service, offering a wide range of quality garden products. Each week on the Garden Gurus Live, the team at Garden Express will share a weekly offer. So make sure after today's show, you jump online and visit their website. Okay. Shall we move on to some more questions? I think we should. Uh, Natelka from Sydney, just letting you know. I tried your tip last week for my peace lily to spike a flower with banana skins and a bag for five days. Still no flower spike that I can see. How long will it take to see something? Look, it'll probably take a month. 
Um, within about a month, you should see it start to produce flower spikes, and even then, they'll take at least another month to really come through and, uh, and perform. So I hope that that helps you. I think um, Michaela's moving the screen around, which has just cut half my head off, but <laughs> this, is, um, this is part of the, part of the fun of the uh, Garden Gurus Live. Because you can see we're all in here working hard at making it all happen. And, uh, and there we go. <laughs> I think we've just gone back to where we started. So that's really good. Well done, guys. What a team. What a team we've got here. Natelka, I hope that helps. Um, it will just take a little bit of time. You do have to be patient, but that process of the, uh, the banana skins will trigger the flower. Di is in Sydney as well. Hello, Di. I'm not sure exactly where you're from, but you've got a frangipani tree in a pot. It hasn't flowered this year. It flowered last year and it's in full sun. Any ideas? Because I'm missing the beautiful flowers. Well, it should be flowering about now. Um, and really the only reason a frangipani won't flower is if it's getting lots of water and lots of nutrient. The combination of those two sometimes means the plant will put the energy into producing foliage and start to grow. Um, and not into the flower because it doesn't feel like it needs to reproduce. And it's this old thing that I do say a lot and I hope you're picking up on it, but sometimes you've got to treat them mean to keep them keen and you'll end up with the results that you want when it comes to flowering. But if you keep them fat and happy, they might not do a lot. So a little bit of advice. Leanne, you didn't tell us where you're from, but that's okay. This is a story about, or this is a question about aphids and is it normal for them to attack lettuce? Aphids love all soft tissued plants. So it doesn't matter what the plant is that you've got, they will go for it if there's lovely, soft, juicy um, foliage and growth. So the answer is yes. Now, should they be doing it? Well, the answer is no. Your lettuce is probably a little bit too soft. And I would suggest that you take a look at backing off your nutrient. Um, and if you've just got lots of nutrient in the soil, uh, that may be problematic as well. There are obviously some natural sprays that you can put together. Chili spray is always a good one for keeping that. Garlic's also a repellent for aphids and you can buy a garlic chili spray in your local garden centre that will, um, will help ward off the aphids. So probably short term, that's what I do. King is in Perth. Hello, King. Um, nice to hear from you this beautiful Friday here in WA. King managed to grow three lemon plants from seed. They've been germinating in a lemon. That is, oh, they had been germinating in a lemon. So this will sometimes happen. You'll have fruit with seed inside. As the fruit matures, the seed will actually germinate using the moisture from the fruit to get going. One of them is starting to have thorns. Am I wasting my time and effort in growing them? Will they fruit? This is the million dollar question. Now the reason is the one that's growing thorns is probably reverting back to one of the, the original parents of the plant. So some of the, the wild forms, if you like, of lemon, citron and um, uh, the trifoliate form of citrus do have big thorns on them. They're used as rootstocks and um, they're, they're very vigorous plants, but their fruit is generally not that enjoyable. You wanna know if you're wasting your time? Well, the one with the thorns, probably, but the ones that come through that don't have thorns, you might end up with a new form. It might be true to, to the, the exact type that the parents are or the parent is, but there is always that thing where you just might end up with something new and different. So Kang, I'd put them in pots. I'd let them grow. Um, if they're a big thorny plant, 
probably not worthwhile growing. You can actually graft onto that, remember? Um, so you can tackle it in a different way. But um, interesting, interesting challenge there. Uh, and very interesting thing when you see seed germinate within fruit. I think that was really fascinating. So thank you, King, in Perth. We're going to Brisbane. Hello, Leah. How are you? My tomatillo plant is very green and healthy, but no flowers or fruit. And it goes back to that thing we were talking about before. Lots of moisture, lots of nutrient, doesn't need to produce flowers. But tomatillos will produce flowers. So what I would try and do is back the moisture off. Because basically, as soon as the soil moisture gets a little bit on the drier side, your tomatillo will start producing flowers and you will get good fruit. That's my advice for you, Leah. They are really, really cool plants to grow, a bit different. And um, yeah, become quite trendy in restaurants, the fruit as well, and quite expensive. Now, we're not sure where marjorie is from, but do self-sown nectarine seeds grow into normal fruiting trees? And how long do they fruit? Well, the answer is uh, they'll definitely grow into a tree. Will they be the same as the nectarine uh, fruit that, you, um, that you've enjoyed? Well, the answer is maybe not, probably not. Um, generally, you know, every child is different to the parent and that's exactly what's going to happen here. Um, there'll be a slight variance. Sometimes it can be for the better. That's actually how we end up with new and interesting varieties. But sometimes um, it might be a, a very thin-skinned fruit or it might be a thick-skinned fruit or it might be a, a fruit that has a very big seed and not a lot of flesh. And um, you will never know until they've grown into a tree. That generally takes four to five years before you start getting fruit. So I hope that that helps it really depends on how keen you are. You've got to remember that with all the questions we're answering here, they're all provided to you as answers for free. And we're doing it because we love you and we want you to, to, to enjoy your garden and to get great results. And that's really what it's all about. So please give us a like. Let us know that, um, that you are enjoying the show and, and let us know that you're supporting us. We really appreciate it. Now, earlier on, I caught up with the technical director of Evergreen Garden Care. Now, this is Greg Neighbour. Greg is one of the country's great horticultural scientists in my mind. He is passionate. He's worked in the industry his whole life. His knowledge is exceptional. And he took time to explain the benefits of using a wetting agent and how you should be using them on your garden. Thanks for joining us today, Greg. How are you going? Very, very well. Been and a very bit uh, of weather over here. I was going to say the weather's a bit cooler over there than it is over here in the west and in other parts of the country at the moment. Yeah. Tell me, Greg, with with um, the scorching conditions, we're getting so many people that are writing into us at the moment to say they've got big bare patches or dry patches appearing on their lawn and, and even in their gardens. They're seeing plants really showing the stress. Of, of the heat as the soil moisture content levels start to really dry out. That, that causes other problems, doesn't it? Um, the, the problems obviously are, are a challenge to the plants and themselves in getting water, but uh, when you try and re-wet, when you go and, and, and it rains or you, you want to put water on, secondary problem is that the, the soils can become hydrophobic and stop that water penetrating into the into the soil so and it's the same with wetting uh, with um with sorry with uh, potting mixes um particularly an issue in europe with with their european peats that they use where re-wetting is a real problem we don't use those peats here but 
polymixes in general, re-wetting can be an issue. Yeah. In fact, um, it's one of the things that people are seeing is that with their plants in, in pots, that in a lot of instances they're starting to see leaves or branches drying out and, and plants starting to look pretty tatty. And there's a combination of things, I think, if, if it's those ceramic pots or even if it's plastic, I suppose, when they're superheating during the day, the roots tend to be up against the side of it. So there's a stress factor that's coming in there. And, of course, as, as they're getting really hot, they are drying out all the way through. So that's putting a lot of stress on the plant itself, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think that what, what uh, you know, particularly in those potting mixes is when you do try and rewater, um, because it's dried out, the water that you're putting on will find the least path of least resistance and basically can flow straight through. I don't know if you've, yeah. uh, you know, seen it, but I've been watering a garden and then gone to pull out a weed after watering it for, for five minutes and, uh, you pull out the weed and the soil's completely dry underneath it, you know, and you go, what, what was all that watering about? So this, this is where wetting agents become so important, isn't it? Because they, can, they allow the water to basically get back into those dry pockets in the soil. How do they work, Greg? Um, you know, wetting agents, and, and we were pioneers in, in this country in, that, in, those, in the use and, and formulation, and uh, so they, they're really designed to, one, prevent that path of least resistance and allow the water that you're applying to spread throughout the whole profile of the soil. So that results in you having more soil or more water in that profile. So that's number one. Second, particularly in potting mixes where you have a pieces of pine bark, it allows that pine bark itself like a little sponge to absorb more water within the particle. So there's your second benefit yeah. of being able to, to retain more moisture in the soil. And interestingly, that action actually has another action for your garden in that if you have more clay areas where, and a lot of rain, say in winter, then it'll help the water to drain and stop waterlogging. So it's, yeah. it's a bit counterintuitive that you hold more water in one instance, but allow it to drain in another. Yeah, so so it's still, it's, it's, it's more about getting the movement of that water through the soil. Now, when, when and how should people be applying wetting agents? Obviously, you guys actually manufacture potting mix with wetting agent in it, so you're not going to get those dry pockets in your potting mix, are you? No, not in, in, in those products for sure, but um, we, we have, you know, uh, a whole range of products that not only are separate wetting agent products, you know, like this is um, every drop yep. uh, as a liquid hose on, but we also incorporate them in um, lawn fertilizers, garden fertilizers, you know, et cetera. And so uh, it sort of means that it ends up the, 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 the users adding that as well as whatever the fertilizer and other things. And it makes fertilizers more efficient it makes it more available to the plant and you get less leaching, et cetera, as a result of using a wetting agent with fertiliser. Okay, interesting. Um, I know, know at the moment that that common question we're getting asked about is these big dry patches starting to appear. So, so that is the product that should be used um, hosed over the patches themselves? Correct. So um, 
what will happen is that you you know it's a hose in so apply it and as you're putting it on you'll see if you were just using a hose without it the water would probably just run off the surface whereas when you're using it with this um, at the dilution that it has for for the product it'll end up you'll see it go in much more more readily and it'll move down the profile and fill the the, the, the root profile up with uh, with that water um, it's pretty important to, to make sure that it is activated and one of the great indicators is you tend to see a bit of bubbling, don't you, a bit of frothing on the surface of the soil if you're giving it a good washing. Uh, there is a little. Um, we kind of minimise that as we don't particularly want to see a lot of foaming, but there yeah. is foaming you will see and you'll know that it's, it's happening. It's a thing with uh, in regard to activation. We uh, were the first to be producing uh, granule products so that they're easy to apply to gardens, etc. And with that, after application, it takes two waterings to activate it and have it move through the profile and become effective. Greg, um, obviously now is the time to be doing it if you're seeing sort of dry patches in your garden, but also with potting mixes um, or existing pots, using that particular product and giving them all a bit of a water won't hurt them if they're existing, or do an upgrade now, go and repot your plants and use your potting mixes, which is the Osmocote potting mixes? Uh, the Osmocote Blue mm -hmm. is at the um, Premium Plus. Yep. Uh, contains a full range of wetting agents. There's a, a few others as well, but that's the premium um, professional grade growing media that uh, you know has all of, all the bells and whistles to uh, to ensure success to the to the gardener. Brilliant, mate. Look, this is really important information for this time of the year and I really appreciate your time today um, to share some of your knowledge again. Really good stuff. Greg, thanks to you and all the team at Love the Garden and uh, we'll look forward to seeing you again very, very soon, probably next week, hopefully. Sure. Good to see you again. Thanks, mate. Sure. What a great guy. Really incredible knowledge. I'm always... I always find these things with Greg. He's a fascinating brain when it comes to horticulture. There's so much that Greg knows that um, every time I have a conversation, I always find that I've learned something new, which is really what life's all about, I reckon. It's where you really get value, and it's hopefully what we're going to deliver for you. Now, before we get going into the next round of questions, and they're flowing through, but please get your questions in. I have five of these beautiful books, Two Dogs and a Garden. This is a book put together by Derrily Cherry and it is a gorgeous, gorgeous book. It's the story of, of a beautiful garden in uh, the central coast of New South Wales and uh, you can just see some of the, the pictures. There's a lot of lessons to be learnt in amongst it. It is the garden uh, where there was a garden full of spectacular uh, camellias and uh, rhododendrons, but plants collected from all over the world. And so uh, the book is a bit of an insight into that. And we've got five of them. So get your questions in. Now's the time. Michaela will let you know if you have been uh, selected as one of the best questions. The questions are flowing through actually thick and fast. So um, I think we'll go to Brisbane for the very first one. Carol, hello, how are you? What do I think about using bicarbonate soda on your plants? I'm not a big fan of it, Carol, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I've seen it used quite effectively to change the pH of soils. Um, that's pretty much the only time I would think that you would use it. Um, obviously, uh, it has been used as a bit of a solution for fungal problems at times. 
but I'm not sure that it's actually really done the job as far as I'm concerned. It does tend to burn off a lot of the fungal spores, but um, it doesn't stop them from coming back. In fact, sometimes it leaves the damaged leaves open and when things have settled, uh, the fungal infection seems to get a lot worse um, in a second wave, if that's the best way to put it. Um, so, yeah, it depends on what you're thinking about doing, but my suggestion is uh, it's probably not got a huge amount of value. Roz is from New South Wales. She's in the Blue Mountains, one of the most prettiest places in Australia, that's no doubt about it. Some beautiful gardens. Roz has got a tamarillo tree and it's full of lots of fruit but they don't seem to be ripening and it's been at least six to eight weeks since most of them have reached a good size. Is this normal, Roz? It is absolutely normal. My tamarillo tree, I was looking at it in my garden and it's full of green fruit. It's all full-sized and I expect in the next month we will see it start to really change and just get better and better. So um, you'll see them colour up. I hope that helps. Bruce is in Hobart. Good to hear from you, Bruce. He's been trying to grow cauliflower for the last couple of years and they immediately go to seed. You've got broccoli next door and it's thriving and it's obviously not rushing straight to seed. Now, cauliflower is one of those interesting plants. It really does enjoy a root-promoting fertiliser, believe it or not. So there's um, fertilisers you can buy that are specially designed for potatoes. I know it sounds strange, but if you can get yourself something called potato E or sometimes it's called potato D manure, uh, you'll find that incorporating that into the soil will encourage the cauliflower to set nice heads. And that's really what you want to do. You want to encourage the plant to be nice and compact and have a beautiful, nice, big head. That's what you want with cauliflower. Tala is in Aberdeen and she wants to know, is it true that wormwood poisons the soil to other plants? There are a lot of plants that do this, Tala. Yes, it is. So what it does is wormwood like pines and, and many other trees uh, will drop leaves and those leaves tend to either have a chemical in them or alternatively they're quite acidic and they'll acidify the soil and stop any seeds germinating. And this is all about stopping competition. So plants competing for nutrients and moisture in around the outside. It's a natural adaption that is very, very clever. Uh, but yeah, if you're trying to grow plants right alongside your wormwood, you might find it a little bit difficult. Carolyn is in northeast Victoria. Hello, Carolyn. She's got a black-eyed Susan vine, which is attacked by spider mites. You treated it with wettable sulphur, but it's still got pale leaves. What can you do to save it? Well, look, if it's been attacked by, by spider mites, you'll find that the damage has already been done to the leaves. So the older leaves are just going to have to die and fall off. What you want to do is encourage new leaves to grow through. Um, when the new leaves come, you may end up with another round of spider mite attack as well. So it's a bit of a cycle. Here's what I would suggest you do. We are going to post the details of our, um, of our predatory mite supplier. Um, this is a company that will, they grow them, they have an insectary, they grow them, and they ship them all over the country and they, they come in tubes. You'll have it full of these predatory mites, you release them into the garden and they will eat the red spider mite. So I'll get you the details of that, we'll put it up on our Facebook page contact them, get them in, the tube will arrive a couple of days later, take the lid off it, release them into the garden. They will then start eating any spider mites that are out there. And the interesting thing is that um, you can actually apply something like wettable sulphur further down the line and it won't kill all the beneficial insects um, and it will help control the spider mites as well. So sometimes you can kind of do a bit of both. 
but I would definitely introduce predatory mites into your garden. I hope that helps. This show is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Evergreen Garden Care. Evergreen Garden Care and their market-leading brands are some of the most trusted consumer brands within the garden care market. They produce high-quality garden care products designed to help people create their own green oasis. Whether it's a garden, a balcony or potted indoor plants, they want to inspire anyone, anywhere to be able to easily create and maintain their own garden. To find out more about Evergreen Garden Care, head to www.lovethegarden.com. Kerry is in Albion Park in New South Wales. Hello, Kerry. Lovely to see you. And I believe the weather there has been uh, a bit on the cooler side in the last few days with a bit of rain, which always helps. Now, Kerry bought herself a Daphne. It's um, one called Eternal Fragrance. It's a beautiful variety. She wants to put it into a garden along a fence that's east-facing. Now, let me think about this. East-facing gets sun in the mid-morning and late afternoon. Would it be okay? Look, I'm growing this plant, um, Eternal Fragrance, in a pot, in Perth, in full sun. It's, it's pretty much in a similar sort of situation to what you're doing. And the important thing with this is this plant never dries out. But as long as it doesn't dry out, it can grow in full sun. It, it doesn't matter, it's happy to grow in shade, but it will handle the extreme conditions quite well. They're surprisingly tough. So, um, and just for those people who don't know this plant, it has the most exquisite fragrance. The fragrance from the flowers, uh, particularly at night, just wafts through the air on a still night and it is intoxicating. It is absolutely beautiful. Daphne is just one of those plants that everybody should have in their garden if you've got an appreciation of, uh, of them. Now, Kay has asked, what can I do to get rid of fruit fly and stone fruit? It's really difficult thing and I've been recommending traps as one solution. Baits are another solution. You can spray them. There are some fruit fly sprays out there. There is a spray called Spinosad that uh, professional orchardists use, and that does help to control the fruit fly. But it's probably a combination of these things that really works the best. I'm not sure where you're from, Kay, but um, I would suggest that you take a look at that as a, as a way to help get control. So Spinosad, um, which I think is being sold as success in your local garden centre, uh, or those, those other solutions such as sticky traps or a combination of all of them is a good way to go. Julie is in Melbourne. She's got a lime tree planted in a pot which is flowered but it's not fruited. Any suggestions? Well, look, generally the way the lime works is it wants to grow a bit of a structure first, a support structure, if you like, for the plant, the stem, get the root system really strong. And often what will happen is it'll flower but it won't necessarily... When it's, when it's young, produce fruit. So it'll drop the flowers, the fruit might start to form and then fall off. You can help the plant keep fruit on longer and, and to develop properly by adding sulphate of potash. That's something you'll find in your local garden centre. And uh, you can apply it via a liquid over the foliage if you want an immediate uptake through the, through the plant or you can apply it into the soil as well in around the top of the pot and wash it in. Um, my suggestion to you is that if the plant's small, don't worry about it too much. It'll just be forming a structure and within a couple of years, as the roots reach the side of the pot and really starts to get itself established, 
it'll start producing fruit and you'll end up with some great results. It's good to hear from Leone. Hello, Leone. You're in Adelaide. It's nice to hear from somebody in Adelaide. And I think we're going to have a bit of a run out of South Australia. Remember, give us your best question because we've got five of these beautiful books to give away this week. Um, Leone's question, she's got a bit of soil along a neighbour's fence. It's only about 20 centimetres deep it gets very little sun, you'd like to try some ground covers. Any ideas, please? Well, look, my suggestion, Leonie, is the very first thing you should do is head down to your local garden centre because garden centres will give you the local environment advice and that's going to allow you to select the right plant for the right situation. There are a bunch of ground covers that grow really well in that sort of environment. And you could go for anything from you know, something that's going to cover the fence, um, like an ivy is a, an example, and you can have variegated ones or you can have green foliage ones, uh, through to something that's actually flowering. So you could try something, if you wanted to go really exotic, you could try something like the bleeding heart vine, the clerodendron, which is absolutely gorgeous and actually prefers that bit of shade, doesn't require a deep soil and, um, and can kind of act as a ground cover or as a creeper across the fence. So you've got a few options there. I hope that helps. Get into your local garden centre, they'll show you and you can see the plants and you can get a feel for how it's going to look. Staying in South Australia, it's great. Wendy, hello, you're in Blackview. You've been given a small mango from your sister. You planted it in a wicking bed. Do you think it'll be all right during winter and is there anything you should do to help get it through the cold nights? Um, mangoes are a pretty big tree. That's the first thing you need to be aware of. So if you've got it in a raised bed or a wicking bed that's got a particular structure, um, in a short period of time, that tree is probably going to um, mess with it and, and stop it from working and possibly uh, have a few problems. So you might want to think about its long-term position. Um, I think that uh, I think that maybe the, the suggestion I would, well, would do is to suggest to you that as the tree develops, leave it in the wicking bed. Um, during winter, I would put a bit of a plastic cover over the top and um, I would just try and protect it from frosts. If you can get it through the first couple of years, I would then transplant it into the garden, probably in about November, and allow it to grow right through the season to establish. Uh, that's probably the way to go, Wendy. I hope that helps you. Teller came back. Hello, Teller. It's nice to see you or uh, hear from you. You've got a good YouTube video on DIY fruit, uh, fruit fly bait. We do actually, yeah. So if you want to check that out, and remember, our website and our YouTube channels are a fantastic resource when it comes to gardening here in Australia. This is Gardening 101 in Australian conditions, in the Southern Hemisphere, in our ancient soils. It's the sort of advice you need to look for because if you're just Googling this stuff, it comes in from all over the world and often those environments will not work super well for us. So. Check out our YouTube channel or check out thegardengurus.tv. That's our website. Now, Natalka's back back in Sydney and she's come back with a Japanese maple tree. She's got from a pot, uh, she's got an inner pot from a nursery and she's noticed the top half of the tree's dried up but the bottom is still all green and full. What could be wrong and how uh, can you help it come back strong again? So, Natalka, this is a really interesting problem. This is probably um, caused by moisture stress at some point it's dried out and the tree has naturally dropped some of this foliage off the top. I would actually prune it back to where the growth is and I would make sure that it's nice and moist. I'm not sure, it is in a pot, so the potential for it to be 
um, exposed in to extreme conditions is actually uh, pretty high in a pot and that's the sort of classic damage you get. If you want to know how to help it recover, the best tip I can give you is to use a, a seaweed extract, uh, something like sea salt, soak the ground and even soak it over the foliage. And this should help stimulate a regrowth of any damaged roots. And once they're back and functioning properly and there's some moisture and there's some nutrient in the pot, the plant will take off and start to grow. And hopefully you can get a little bit of growth in this, this period of time before it goes dormant in the winter months. Um, that's really got to be your, your main objective. Japanese maples, once they're established, are, um, are pretty hardy. But the early stages of getting the tree to its best is the biggest challenge. And I'm speaking from experience because I'm going through the same thing in my garden and I've seen it happen. Um, you just have to uh, you just have to encourage and nurture the plant along a little bit. Wow, how's that? We've had that hour has just flowing, hasn't it, guys? They're still eating figs. I can't even get an answer out of them, but it has flown, and I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. I really do enjoy doing these uh, these sessions each week. They give us a chance to interact, and I really appreciate you taking the time to join us, you know, share your your ideas and your thoughts, and. Uh, I'd ask you to invite your friends, join us, and you know, give us some um, give us some feedback as you go along. Remember to like the page. Michaela is going to send our winners of the five books, Two Dogs and a Garden, a message via Facebook after today's show. So that's Two Dogs and a Garden. It's a beautiful book. Keep your eye out for it. Um, and that's it for today's episode. I really do appreciate you joining us. Remember, the Garden Guru's Autumn series is coming up pretty soon. Believe it or not, we've started filming uh, some pretty interesting stuff already, actually. I'm, I just did a story this week which uh, it's going to cause a storm because uh, it's a real revelation and it's going to make gardening so much easier and even better for the environment. The Garden Guru is back on nine, starting February the 27th. And remember, you can always jump on our website, catch up on previous stories of the, of any of the Garden Guru stories, actually. Um, of course, that's the thegardengurus.tv. We just mentioned it before. Our YouTube channel. And at the moment, you can also catch episodes on ninenow.com.au. You can listen back to today's live stream and catch up on previous episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Podbean. And I'm Trevor Cochran, and I'm looking forward to seeing you next Friday at 7pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time, 4pm Western Standard Time. Happy gardening. Have a beautiful weekend. Thanks again for your support. We'll see you later. Dig, dig the ground, down in the hole, I trouble. Dig, 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 dig in the ground. Feeling good in the ground. I got my spade, I got my hole, I got my rake, and I'm ready to go. Beep, 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 beep.